something that really struck me while I was in the east of Ukraine in December 2013 was like how much uh, local people from all different socioeconomic strata uh, just didn't like the president, didn't like Yanukovych. Uh, most people just refer to him as a thief or a bad guy. Um, everything from my clean lady to edu university educated people to, you know, people I met uh, while I was out socializing, just absolutely no one had anything good to say about him. Sar Experience Всем привет and welcome back to another Vodka Vodkas with me, Connor Klein. This is the Czar Experience and today's episode is kind of a poignant one and a very special one. It is from here, which is Maidan, which is the independent square in Kiev, the capital of Ukraine. And it's just a little bit over five years since the Euro Maidan revolution. And I was actually here for part of the revolution, actually here on the square in Maidan and also in the east of Ukraine in a city probably a lot of you are familiar with from the media, which is Donetsk, as it's under control of pro-Russian separatists for the last few years. But I was there actually during um, the beginning of the protest. I came here twice, basically, uh, December 2013 and Jan, well, and February, actually. Yeah, it wasn't January, it was February 2014, just towards the end of the protest. So I was there basically here at the beginning of the protest and at the very end. So on today's podcast, I want to give you uh, a little bit of an understanding, an overview of what it was like to be a Western European and come here uh, during a time of revolution. Um, because a lot of you will, of course, read um, and have seen a lot of the images on the TV and the, the more kind of traditional mainstream media or uh, in kind of independent media, which a lot of it is propaganda. Uh, so this is going to give you my understanding. This is not going to be an overview of all the events that happened during the protests. You can, of course, go and look at other documentaries, uh, TV reports, um, just do your research and try and get a good, reliable um, you know, overview of the information, different sources. And of course, you can always look at Wikipedia and at least get an overview of the facts of what happened. What I want to communicate with you here is because basically a lot of you ask me uh, about my experiences in Ukraine over the years. And uh, this was actually a pretty, pretty important one when I came here to see the protests in, you know, for myself. So I just want to communicate that with you. It's one person, me, my experience and um, my kind of understanding of what was going on now. Few things to start with. I do have a background in international relations. I actually studied the former Soviet Union, so I was very familiar with the political uh, context when I during the the revolution. I had actually seen the revolution, the, the previous revolution in 2004, the Orange Revolution um, from the U.S. Because I was studying international relations there at the time, and it had been something that I thought would be really cool to have come and actually seen. Uh, for myself my own eyes at the time and then of course that wasn't possible but later as it transpired in at the end of 2013-2014 uh, the opportunity did present itself and I came here during the protest um, so that's one thing the second thing is I did work um, also for the European Commission as an antitrust lawyer competition lawyer so again I was familiar with a lot of the, the foreign policy from the US side and also from the US side uh, and of course Russia's side as well and how that all you know interplayed here and of course the president at the time the pro-Russian president Viktor Yanukovych and the different things that he had been trying to negotiate uh, with the European Union 
so I had all that kind of political understanding. So I wasn't here as um, a tourist um, who didn't understand what was going on in the country or the political context. So that did give me a different kind of view to maybe a lot of you are going to maybe have if you have been here uh, at the time, unless you're coming for that particular uh, background. So to give you a tiny, really, really quick synopsis of what happened, um, there had been a revolution in 2004 that was called the Orange Revolution. And basically, uh, a pro-Russian Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, he thought he had won the elections. Basically, there were protests uh, <clears throat> over what was alleged to be voter fraud. And he was forced into having a third round of voting, which was a runoff against a pro-European candidate who was uh, Yushchenko, who've actually won it. You might remember him uh, because there was an attempt to poison him and he had all these pop marks on his face as a result. So he actually won the third round, became the president at that time and not Viktor uh, Yanukovych. Now, later on, fast forward, he did actually win election, actually <laughs> become president uh, in a democratic election that was uh, considered free and fair. And he had uh, done several things while he had been in power for a short time, one of which was to uh, imprison his main political opponent, Yulia Tymoshenko, on uh, alleged corruption charges. And also uh, his son had alleged to start to try to become kind of like an oligarch in the country as well and started to kind of encroach on the traditional power structure within the oligarchs here in Ukraine. So oligarchs are big businessmen who basically have an oligarchy so they they have kind of like almost monopoly or huge amount of market power in different industries and they're able to then wield a lot of political influence so i'm a former competition lawyer antitrust that's actually designed to break up oligopolies ironically so i have a good understanding of that as well so i arrived in ukraine nothing to do with the protests at all um, they had started, they had been here on Maidan, you can just see behind me the main statue on the, on the square. And basically, um, Viktor Yanukovych had been elected on a platform to sign um, an association agreement with the European Union for Ukraine. Now, this is kind of a first step towards greater integration. It's not actually a roadmap, roadmap to join the EU, but it is normally a first step uh, towards greater integration and possibly one day joining. But there were two competing alternatives at the time. One was to join a, a union with Russia, um, Belarus and Kazakhstan. And the alternative was basically to join kind of European system, European Union system um, economically. And that's because of the way that uh, Russia had designed its own union. As so you couldn't basically join, join both uh, because of the way the free trade rules uh, would work once that. So he had a, been elected on a manifesto to actually join the European um, economic system. Um, or become more integrated with it, but uh, he refused to actually sign the association agreement uh, in spite of this um, in late 2013. And as a result, a lot of mainly students, young people came here to protest on the square. Now, at one stage, the Berkut, who were Yanukovych's um, loyal uh, riot police, they actually beat up a lot of protesters to move them from here. And that created a huge backlash amongst the population, just like tens of thousands of people came out to protest, not just here in Kiev, but also in regional cities. This was the beginning of what became Euromaidan. Now, I arrived at that stage. I actually flew to Donetsk um, from Dortmund, if I, if I remember correctly, on a Wizz Air flight. They did fly to that airport. That airport is now completely destroyed. If you go and look it up, you'll see that in the fighting uh, since um, the, the, the post-Maidan, post the revolution, the, it's become under uh, separatist control and there was a lot of fighting uh, there and the airport was completely, completely obliterated in the fighting between uh, Ukrainian forces and 
pro, we'll call them pro-Russian separatists, along with, well, probably Russian, Russian regular forces as well, if you look at a lot of other documentaries that you can uh, take a look up online and uh, make your own judgment on that. So I flew into that airport, and one thing that struck me, um, well, actually the border guards, <laughs> they were uh, very surprised that I came to Donetsk at that particular point. They asked me, what are you going to do in Donetsk? And I was like, well, I already have my flights booked here, and I'm actually just going to go, I want to see the city. I haven't been back for a couple of years. I'm actually going to go to Dnipro. At the time it was called Dnipropetrovsk, uh, which is not so far from Donetsk, and then travel to some other parts of Ukraine. And yeah, that was, a, that was actually the most reasonable flight to take. Uh, but something that really struck me while I was in the east of Ukraine in December 2013 was like how much uh, local people from all different socioeconomic strata uh, just didn't like the president, didn't like Yanukovych. Um, doesn't necessarily mean they supported the opposition wholeheartedly against him but they definitely did not like and wanted to see him um, uh, you know, deposed or replaced in some form. Uh, most people just refer to him as a thief or a bad guy. Um, everything from my clean lady to edu university educated people to you know, um, people I met uh, while I was out socializing, just absolutely no one had anything good to say about him. So that was the first thing that struck me is that definitely there seems to be a groundwell of support against the current president. Now when I came to Maidan, um, to give you maybe the kind of tidbits that were interesting in the first part is that it wasn't as well organized in terms of the occupation of the, the square as it was later on. And it was actually a lot more intimidating as a result because it was a lot more chaotic. Now you did have, of course, a big stage that was just behind me here where people would give speeches and there were continuously people coming on, maybe singing um, or giving political speeches from there. Um, Basically, the police had retreated out of this area, so they would be on the far side of this is Khrushchev, the main thoroughfare in Kiev's around the far side down there, or they were like over on this side. Now, you did have barricades eventually, like that were that you probably see if you've seen any of the footage, and they were with packed ice, and these things were enormous. Uh, these were huge, and they were like three defensive positions, but that came a little bit later, if I remember correctly. The first time it wasn't as well organized. and. One in one particular inside, I mean, I was here during the day, it wasn't so stressful to be around, but at night it got a little bit eerie here. And this is something that I think you can learn from if you ever are in a country where there is turmoil or political, political upheaval. There have been reports of uh, young people in particular who are leaving um, the protest, being abducted by what are known as Tetushki, uh, which was basically plain clothed thugs. Um, normally um, who were pro-government, pro so not the regular riot police or the regular police, but just plain uh for hire thugs. And uh, some of them were found murdered in the woods around Kiev and others were beaten uh, very badly and then thrown out of vans or cars or just dumped somewhere. Um, and I remember when I was leaving um, the square here, just had gotten dark and just walked down Hrushatik and I came uh, onto the street that's now known as uh, Veliki Vasilkivska. It's been renamed in the meantime. I think it was Chornar Armensk before that. Um, a guy approached me speaking in Ukrainian, asking me if I'd just come from the protest, which is pretty unusual in general because most people, if they approach you on the street in Kiev, probably if they don't know you, address you in Russian as opposed to Ukrainian. That has been changing the last five years. Ukrainian is a little bit more as a language prominent here, but at the time, it took me as a little bit odd. And beside, beside him was a van with an open door and three very thuggish looking guys sitting there. Um, I just didn't answer a walk past. Um, this was kind of the profile of people who, who basically abducted 
uh, people would have looked more younger and maybe more Western dressed who have been coming from the protests. So that was a very eerie moment because um, I reflected on it afterwards and I was watching the TV and hearing about these reports that maybe, maybe this would have been an attempt to see if I would say I was coming from the protest and then just grab me and throw me in a van and uh, maybe beat me up or something. I mean, being a foreigner, Western European here, uh, I don't think that would have happened. I wouldn't have been beaten up or definitely not murdered because the political consequences of that, of course, would have been uh, enormous <laughs> uh, for the government at the time and the people who would have done it. So I don't think that was risk. I would have been protected by my, my nationality. But if I had been Ukrainian and I had replied, then, you know, there are other precedents about what happened uh, tragically. So that was something that I always kept with me after. It's just like how, you know, things can change very quickly. And I think that's the lesson for you. You really need to understand you know, um, the political landscape and, you know, have an exit strategy for somewhere if there is political turmoil where you are traveling and uh, not get caught up in it. It is very interesting and something that you can learn a lot from, of course, being here and observing it. But at the same time, you need to take care of your safety. Uh, so just being aware of, you know, what the potential dangers might be and just avoiding them. Um, at this stage of the protest, people were not being shot. Um, you know, on the square or anything like that. So I didn't feel like it was uh, dangerous to come down. But this one incident did leave me a little bit startled, uh, especially when I was watching the TV in the days afterwards. So I left and I hadn't, you know, I, I mean, obviously I followed the protests really closely uh, and I hadn't tended to come back. But then uh, in February, like mid-February uh, 2014, I was actually in Thessaloniki in Greece and a good friend of mine, uh, Ian, uh, who was here at the time in Kiev, he basically wrote me and said, man, you got to come, like the protests are at a really high point, um, just get on a plane and come back. So I was like, okay, I, I'm bored in Thessaloniki. I wasn't really enjoying it that much. I'd just come in for a day or two. And I basically looked at my phone, booked a flight with Turkish Airlines, almost missed the flight, in fact, because I got to the airport. It took me a long time to get to the airport. Taxi was late, but I did make it. And I got on a plane via Istanbul and came here. And actually on the plane, there was a very interesting guy who started talking to who's a photographer, a war photographer, and he had just been embedded with ISIS. And at the time, no one really heard about ISIS. It wasn't the kind of notoriously uh, gruesome group. I mean, they were gruesome, but they weren't as big and they hadn't taken over large parts of um, Iraq or Syria at the time. So for me, it was really uh, you know, interesting where he come from. He had like, he'd been embedded with them and there was just like horrific photos of scores of dead bodies and stuff like that. And he was flying to, um, you know, take photos at the protests. Uh, he did send me some of them afterwards as well, Guillaume. Thanks for that, merci. Um, so I did get to see them afterwards. He took some amazing photos, actually the protests here. So I fly back in and the first thing to realize, unlike today, because we're just, um, I think it's the 3rd of March today when I'm shooting this, um, the weather is quite nice. It was actually sunny, the sun just went away and it's not that cold. Uh, I can have, you know, <laughs> not wearing gloves right now. It will get cold now that the sun is about to go down, but, Back in February 2014, it was freezing here. It was so, so, so cold. Uh, it was like minus 20, uh, even colder than that, 20, 20, minus 20 Celsius. And that had a big impact on how you felt when you came down to these protests because, I mean, first of all, the barricades were like bags of packed ice that had been, you know, put together and then were really high, like they were defensive positions, as I said before, so that the protesters could fall back if the Berkut advance were the right police. And um, not only did they occupy the square here, but they also occupied um, up a little bit of the street, maybe half the street leading up to the parliament over there. Uh, and that was when the last defensive position was. So 
actually went up onto the barricade there and actually was able to look across at the riot police on the other side. And what they were doing the days that I was here in, um, you know, towards the end of the protest was actually just fire water cannon back, but it was, you know, colder minus 20. So if you get hit by water, you'll basically have to leave. Now there are several uh, characteristics of the atmosphere here that were definitely very noteworthy and one was the fact that the metro worked nearly the entire time during the protest so actually you could take the metro the metro station is just behind me that's actually the should be just the entrance right there um, during the, the protest the entire time there's kind of a revolution in the country but you can take the metro right into you know uh, revolution central which was very strange uh, to me but when you came out of the metro you were uh, greeted by guys who were basically wearing helmets uh, had shields uh, like and um, maybe a baseball bat or some other sort of um, weapon uh, non-lethal weapon unless it's used excessively uh, and wearing some sort of body armor homemade very very low tech uh, so and normally they were they actually had a badge thing which political um, faction they were from because this square was not occupied by one particular faction there was like different ones from people from different parts of the country uh, representing different political ideologies who were united in trying to get rid of Yanukovych so things have become a lot more organized now, another thing that happened was I mean they had the barricades you know stacked with this um, with this ice uh, was also the fact that they were bringing tires all the time in um, unimpeded it seemed by the police who were standing like a few hundred meters away and they were resupplying they were burning these tires non-stop so the smoke here on the square was awful like it was basically very hard to stay here for a long time for me um, and I remember several hours after I left the square just feeling in my lungs um, this awful awful sensation from the burning tires that I had been exposed to earlier in the day now people stay here for several months a lot of the protesters I have no idea what that did to their life expectancy um, I, I mean they were obviously committed to their political cause and trying to change the country um, one way or the other uh, and also they a lot of them were scared once they had been identifiable here that they wouldn't actually be able to leave safely uh, if the protests failed um, fearing vengeance from and retaliation from Yanukovych's government that was another really strong characteristic like it was pretty rough another thing is there was a constant din of um, banging because primarily they had these babushki these old grandmas um, were banging non-stop on these metal bins um, with planks of wood and these these women were here like I mean I watched some of them for like half an hour and that's all they did non-stop in groups just bang creating this non-stop din so you can imagine the din um, the smoke just the air it's freezing it's like minus 20 as I said even colder not Celsius so it's pretty <laughs> oppressive kind of conditions to be you know protesting in uh, so that was the kind of overall environment now I didn't feel during the day that it was particularly dangerous to be there now we were not here on a day where people got shot uh, thankfully so I didn't also didn't feel like uh, I was personally in danger it was of course very hard to know who anyone was in the square you didn't know if people were from you know um, Russian intelligence service you know US or uh, maybe the British or some other European intelligence service the local intelligence service for the uh, for the government people were constantly filming I mean everyone has cell phones nowadays but even small cameras you know trying to film you all the time so you had no idea who anyone was this was a little bit intimidating at the same time there were like families with their kids like grandmas <laughs> parents walking around because they could take the metro in here all the time um, and while 
there were, you know, most local people avoided the center. You still had like kind of like normal life going around in the middle of the protests. Like I said, the metro was working, so you could take a metro in. So another little side point uh, and something that's definitely of interest for you if you ever, you know, are in a country where there's political upheaval like this, or you're interested in going to, you know, see it for yourself, is that like the price of renting an apartment here in the center of Kiev plummeted during the protest. I remember I was uh, I was taking like two bedroom apartments with jacuzzis and it was literally costing like you know less than 25 euros a night for two bedroom with a jacuzzi like on the prime real estate in the center. Uh, so basically people were just trying to get some money um, for their apartments you know they were by night but they were renting out apartments before for I mean the the currency another point to thing to mention is that the currency hadn't dropped like it is today so the exchange was very different it was closer to one uh, one euro would be worth 10 hryvna uh, today it's like one is worth around 30 hryvna uh, so at the time like an apartment in the center of Kiev was uh, probably you know those apartments were probably going for a little bit under 100 US dollars maybe you know 90 euros 80 euros that kind of price range and suddenly they're down to you know less than 25 so you see that's like a complete like uh, plummeting of prices so it's like maybe 30% of what you normally pay so that was like one obviously plus point if you're traveling is that uh, expenses like that um, definitely became you know a lot cheaper not saying that's a reason to go to a you know potential war zone or somewhere that's going to be dangerous for you but definitely that's a plus point uh, and prices did not recover for a long time uh, Ukraine still remains extremely cheap uh, you know relative to the rest of Europe Prices have come up. You can't get that apartment for 25 euros today. It will cost definitely more than, you know, cost more than 60, 70 probably. It's a little bit cheaper than it was before, basically, uh, but not that much. So that kind of gives you a little bit of a sensation about what it was like in terms of the atmosphere uh, here at the protests. Um, you know, I stayed for a few days. Um, it was definitely something where I learned a lot because it's very easy to rely on, you know, whether it's the mainstream media or, as I said, independent media, which oftentimes is propagandistic because it also represents normally some sort of interest. It's very hard to get real independent media. A lot of independent journalists, especially using YouTube or other medium, who are not independent, or maybe they're not, you know, in the pay of someone, but they're so um, biased to one side that it's very hard to get. You know, you can't really rely on what they're saying. You need to at least fact check that against something else that you can trust and then make your own judgment. I always encourage you to do that. So um, one thing that I, re that I observed that was very different to how the protests were being reported, say in Western media, was about the use of language. Now, there was uh, a lot of talk that, you know, uh, the Russian part of the country, the Russian part, the Russian speaking part of Ukraine wanted to secede or wanted to keep Yanukovych in power and the Western uh, part of it would secede if he stayed in power or just what one was a lot more pro-European. But one thing that I noticed on the square that was very, very interesting is that um, Ukrainian nationalist groups like Pravi Sektor, they actually used Russian to speak to each other in spite of the, you know, generalization or the what was being reported that they were, you know, people wouldn't be allowed to speak Russian here, but actually the Ukrainian nationals were speaking Russian to each other um, because language was not a major issue on, uh, you know, there were lots of people who were from Russian speaking backgrounds or bilingual backgrounds as well as uh, Ukrainian speaking backgrounds who were here. And that just shows you that far right nationalist groups that are labeled as far right. Um, that they were actually using Russian themselves. Uh, so that was definitely, for that one particular group, definitely not an issue. And another observation that I had is like, uh, and what I found really remarkable, 
is that there was very little looting um, here in Kiev. Now, of course, I read afterwards that some things were stolen and some one or two buildings were looted, but considering the general lack of rule of law, um, I was amazed both during the protest and then in the aftermath of the protest because we came back in April 2014. Um, and like th these buildings were being occupied normally by paramilitary groups, but I think I saw some glass broken in one building near the, um, towards the parliament. Besides that, very little. Now, uh, which is really incredible when you think about it. There were shops, like a lot of goods, a lot of things that could have been valuables that could have been stolen. But during the protest, uh, it was pretty well disciplined here on the square. And that's because these groups were organized. And I guess looting wouldn't have helped their cause in the short run. Now, another thing to pay attention with, which I, I forgot to mention a little bit earlier, was actually where I'm standing. Like pavestones were all used as missiles. So basically the protesters, they smashed them all up. So the whole thing was just like the black, um, kind of tarred underbelly of what is normally the roads, uh, not the roads, but like the paving here, uh, like the footpaths, they actually been broken a little bit and then they were used as projectiles uh, to fire at the police, the Berkut, um, who would have been on the far side, as I said, over near the, um, over there near the parliament in general. And they were actually had big catapults to throw the, to, you know, fire stuff at them and also to throw them at them. Um, so that was another thing that was very characteristic about, uh, about the protests. Um, so as I said, it was very well organized. Uh, you had soup kitchens, uh, you had people who came down as volunteers to cook for the protesters throughout the, uh, throughout the period. Um, so you, you would see people line up, people again in general had badges and they would get their food. So it is kind of uh, a weird mixture that things were on one stage kind of chaotic because obviously they're trying to overthrow uh, the government the same so it's quite well organized in terms of having facilities um, you know like soup kitchens and these kind of man-made um, weapons in a sense because they were wearing body armor and having these kind of I guess clubs or something and a shield and then using what was available which were the paving the footpaths and the paving stones and using them as projectiles uh, tires were brought in um, old ladies banging on drums but I said but more than that in terms of them armed in terms of firearms or something like maybe knives that I did not see at all uh, when I was here there was also the famous pianist who would play in front of the Berkut uh, he was there playing if I remember just over there uh, a lot of the time so that was kind of the general the general sense of what it was like to be here fortunately I was not here the day uh, that a lot of people were killed, about 100 people were shot, um, less just under 100 people were shot dead um, in clashes between uh, the police and the protesters and their body armor was not, um, you know, able to withstand uh, live ammunition. So tragically, a lot of people were killed. So you do have memorials here as well if you come here today. So my other impression I want to communicate when I was here was one that I did not think at the time that the protesters would win. I thought that eventually the, the government would just basically uh, crush the protests and then, um, yeah, I'm not sure what they would have done to the people afterwards. You know, 100 people did die, through the, die during the protests. Um, so I would, um, yeah, it's terrible to think what could have happened if um, Yanukovych had been successful in managing to crush them. He did at one stage want the army to intervene. That did not happen. The Birkut did try to take the square. Uh, this all you can you can look up the actual timeline timeline to the protest. They almost took the square. Uh, they were unsuccessful, and then very quickly he lost support. 
not just um, here in Kiev, but also of like political support in terms of the oligarchs, who some of them had still been supporting him, and basically he fled the country. Um, and that brings me to what you know the aftermath of the process. What I mean, if you come here, I did meet these two German guys actually here in the square yesterday, and they were really fascinated by the the, the recent history, and that was part of the reason they come to Kiev. You can go today and see uh, Yanukovych's former residence, which is now. If I remember correctly, a museum to you know about corruption, uh, and it's like this kind of like um, royal palatial property in the north of Kiev. If you take a taxi or an Uber, it probably takes you about 25 minutes to get there, or you can take the metro and then a marshuka little bus up afterwards. And there you see the grounds in which he lived uh, on his very modest state salary, which obviously was supplemented by a lot of other things, uh, and he has a. You know, a big uh, house there, uh, along with um, although the house is not actually that big, you know, relative to what it could be, uh, but it's actually the property that's just absolutely mind-blowing, massive, uh, and he has a party boat and all this kind of stuff and other little houses, a private church, and you'll just see just how big it is. And that's especially during the summer. Uh, with this weather, it's not going to be as nice, but during the summer, it's a very nice part of Kiev to go and uh, have a picnic or something, have a walk around. It's it's definitely and for your kind of understanding of what happened here is definitely something that I encourage you uh, to do if you get the chance. And here, of course, you have also a lot of memorials in the center of Kiev um, about the protests. You can read the history and um, you know what's been going on. It is just after five years. So, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed in Ukraine. One thing about the language, say the Ukrainian language is a little bit more pre present in Kiev in everyday life than it was back then. Um, obviously, after it's, uh, there is a pro European integration uh, president in Poroshenko. There are elections coming up. Uh, it's not sure that he will be re-elected. And I have seen certain changes. One thing is the police. Uh, police uh, on, during Yanukovych's time, and actually even when Yushchenko had been pro-European uh, in the interim had been president, there was a lot of issues with the police here in Ukraine in terms of corruption. You know, before the revolution, um, they were more corrupt definitely than they are today and it definitely affected your visitor coming to Ukraine. Uh, they had a tendency to shake people down, try to get their money if you were a foreigner, like if you walked around Kiev or a big city uh, like Odessa in the south of Ukraine without your passport on you, you stopped by the police, they would try to get you to basically pay the money so or under uh, duress because otherwise they would take you to the police station and uh, probably try to steal your money there. Uh, this happened a lot at the time. Thankfully, that doesn't happen today. They did reform the police force. They have different uniforms. They actually even have a different name, Polizia as opposed to Militia. Uh, so that's definitely a huge positive development. And I've, especially last year or two, there's been a lot of um, investment and economic growth and new places here in Kiev. Uh, at the time, of course, there was also an economic crisis in Ukraine that had been provoked by Yanukovych's rule, which is also why he, uh, he had an extra incentive to join Russia's um, union as opposed to um, integrating more into the European Union for himself, which was the fact that Russia offered him a bailout, um, basically offered him money alone, um, which they dispersed part of, um, which would have helped out the economy because the economy was really in crisis. As I already alluded to, the uh, currency, the hryvna here, did drop considerably afterwards. The old exchange rate was about 1 to 10 to the euro. Um, it's not that much different for the dollar. Probably at the time it was more or less the same for the dollar, 1 to 10. Uh, and now it's like 1 to 30 to the euro. It generally goes between 1 to 31 to 32 rivna. And for dollar, it's probably about 1 to 28, around that kind of um, exchange rate. So that did drop a lot, made it 
very interesting to come here in the aftermath, not the immediately one or two months, but maybe six months later when the currency really started to drop uh, because everything was so cheap here. Um, and probably prices have come up since then, um, but that was something that, you know, maybe visiting um, a country after, like it happened to Argentina when their currency, you know, plummeted in the early 2000s as well. You know, went from a $100 taxi ride in from the airport to like a $20 taxi ride, like in a, <laughs> almost overnight. So when you do have those huge drops in currency, that can be really beneficial for you if you come to visit somewhere. That's something to bear in mind. An interesting anecdote that, uh, that I have for uh, after the Maidan revolution, we actually came back, me and my friend, uh, my sensei, um, about, it would have been two months after the protest, we came here in April, if I remember correctly, uh, 2014, and they still had, the, the actual square was still occupied, even though Yanukovych had fled and the government had been replaced. Uh, and because of that, then they had groups, these paramilitary groups, uh, who were armed, um, who were controlling the parts of the square, part of Shadik here, and uh, there, there were still the barricades, you know, part of the barricades uh, were still up, and they had a lot of flags and paraphernalia uh, going on. It took the government a while to persuade them to leave, persuade them, force them to leave here. But I remember we were actually at Buddha Bar, which is uh, just here, a bar um, just on Shadik, and we wanted to go to another club and arena somewhere on the other side of the street like there's a very long boulevard here and uh, we needed to walk past Maidan or walk really you know take a huge detour around it and um, <clears throat> the paramilitaries who were on the square I don't remember which faction it was I mean of course you had different political factions that were that were controlling um, the, 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 the center of Kiev uh, to show their power and gain influence um, they refused to let us across. They're like, no, you can't walk across. There's a curfew if you go across the center of Kiev at night that they had decided on. But um, we talked to them and eventually, uh, I guess in part also to show their, their power, they gave us an armed escort across uh, Maidan, like halfway up to Hershadik uh, here up the street. And um, yeah, so we had this guy, armed guy, like just escort us so that we would be, you know, safe or just to show that they were in control of the square. But we were allowed to cross just to continue our party, <laughs> our party uh, night out, which was kind of a funny uh, instance, you know, coming here. I did not feel threatened at all uh, at that stage, just after the revolution. And there's, you know, there wasn't any violence here in Kiev, any big violence. There wasn't, you know, other parts of the country, like in Crimea, obviously with Russia's annexation, and then also in the east of the country, in parts of Donetsk and Lugansk Oblast, uh, which are under control of pro-Russian separatists and actually in Odessa as well there was one big day of violence uh, there as well where a lot of people were killed but other than that everything was uh, extremely safe and felt very safe when we were when we were here so that's what I will leave you with as my um, very short overview I know I probably spoke for a while in any case um, just how it felt being here as a Western European at the time and what you maybe can learn from it you know definitely keeping safe being uh, aware of what's going on and how you can leave, um, get out of a situation and really like situations to avoid. Like if the police had actually uh, started shooting uh, at the protesters square, you, you want to have already thought about how you're going to be able to leave the square in that, in that case. It did happen after I left, a few days after I left. Um, and you know, how you're getting out of it and what people that you need to be aware of, like Titushki, um, who are like these um, kind of thugs and they don't spot them <laughs> if they're coming towards you and you might be the kind of person they might want to beat up. Definitely, you've got to be aware of all of that. Uh, but at the same time, you do get to learn a lot. You get to see it with your own eyes and not rely on the media um, or a collection of the media. You get to have your own personal 
you know, experience of it and make up your mind about what's going on. I found that very valuable from having come here to the protest. If you have been in a situation where there was a revolution, political upheaval, violence, um, or you were here in Ukraine around that time, or you read the media, um, then definitely drop a comment below this video and let me know about your impressions and also you know not just share with me but also the other viewers so they get a, you know more and more um, points of view about what happened here and what you can see you know today if you come to Ukraine and what's left of what's changed if you've enjoyed this video normal protocol of course big thumbs up strike the like button and um, you got to the end of this video so you're probably already a subscriber but if not red subscribe button give it a squeeze and definitely whack the notification bell beside it because that's how you get notified uh, when I'm uploading new videos here on YouTube that's on YouTube works if you don't have the notification bell you don't you you don't get the, the pop-up or it doesn't you know tell you basically and you might see when there are new videos going to be making uh, a lot of new content in the next few weeks as always I'm going to be going back to Belarus. I still have not edited up and published the videos from Belarus, but I have been there on and off a lot over, say, got it, but probably at this stage it's probably 10 months. Uh, and I still haven't really produced much from it, but I have filmed a lot, so looking forward to editing those up. I've been promising them to you guys for um, probably six months at this stage, but we keep filming and editing other things uh, in the meantime. So that will be coming soon, and I'm very excited about the um, the traveling opportunities, especially for guys like you who watch my channel in Belarus, it's going to be a nice, um, you know, interesting perspective to give you uh, the differences between traveling in Ukraine and traveling in Belarus today and the pluses and minuses for both of them, which I think is better for, you know, different types of travel and experiences. But definitely been very interesting in Belarus to say the least uh, my trips there and I'm going to be probably flying back on Thursday got a little trip to Lviv in between anyways I'm starting to rant a little bit so I'm going to end the video right here and wish you um, yeah a great day evening or morning depending on the time zone that you are watching this video in and I will see you and all your smiling enthusiastic faces for Eastern Europe in the very next video Dopobacina Disvidania Ciao, see you next one. Sar experience.